With more screen usage and indoor time, myopia, also known as nearsightedness, is increasing and getting worse in children. Now, certified eye doctors can prescribe MySight one day, the first and only FDA-approved soft contact lens to slow myopia progression in age-appropriate children. Visit coopervision.com to find a Brilliant Futures certified eye doctor near you. Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacU Health with Micromycel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromycel technology. Hello and welcome to the Open Your Eyes podcast. I'm Dr. Kerry Gill, the host of the documentary, Open Your Eyes. If you're new here and you like our interviews, press like, subscribe, share, and hit the bell to get notifications of great new interviews. Also, please leave comments. Great news. You can now watch our full-length documentary, Open Your Eyes, on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube movies and shows. People may be surprised to hear that humans are a collection of trillions of microorganisms called the microbiome. It is now known that the microbiome is vital to our health. These tiny microorganisms impact our heart health, our mental health, our weight, our immunity, and even our athletic performance. The big question is, how can we use this emerging science to improve our health? Today's guest, Alessio Fasano, MD, is one of the world's experts on the microbiome, celiac disease, intestinal permeability, and autoimmune disorders. Dr. Fasano is the W. Allen Walker Chair of Pediatric Gastroenterology and Nutrition and the Chief of the Division of Pediatric gastroenterology, and nutrition at Mass General Hospital for Children. Please buy his fabulous book, Gut Feelings, The Microbiome and Our Health. Dr. Fasano, thank you for joining me today. Kerry, thank you for having me on your show. Really appreciate it. You know, you know your work, yeah, I mean, you're truly a superstar in the field of functional medicine and uh, what you've brought to people's health is really amazing. And I just want to thank you for that. Uh, so it's often said, it's not what you eat, but it's what you absorb or your microbes eat. What is your feeling about that? You know, for many, many years, we've been uh, completely obsolete uh, concerning, you know, this you know, community that we co-evolve with and, you know, we can, uh, you know, you, we share our uh, life journey Um you know, in the past, we thought that, you know, there were some microorganisms there that can eventually, you know, give us trouble. And that's mainly what we were focused on. And, you know, once in a while, Mother Nature reminds us, like this pandemic, that the war, the microbes is not far by any stretch of imagination. But that was a, a, a myopic, uh, <laughs> to use a, an old, you know, ophthalmology terms um, view, because the vast majority of microorganisms actually they are very friendly with us they really want to have a peaceful relationship with us because we want mutual you know benefits 
in exchange of hospitality of food that we provide to them, they will really give in exchange a variety of um, um, benefits that we just recently start to appreciate. You know, they help us to, um, you know, uh, scavenge the ideal amount of nutrients from foods, some of the food that we have, fibers, for example, we cannot make use of it. And, and they will eventually scavenge, uh, you know, additional uh, nutrients for us. They provide, you know, essential vitamins that we don't have enough uh, intake with, with the nutrition. But most importantly, and that's where, you know, the vast majority of the science is focusing right now, the microbiome, this ecosystem, mainly the one that's in the GI tract, really program our immune system specifically in the early part of life, the first thousand days of life, to decide if, when, why, and how to unleash, you know, weapons that will defend us against enemies, and when to turn this off. So that's, that's where really we start to appreciate that this goes way beyond just providing food to uh, folks, but, you know, again, um, having the friendly symbiotic relationship with this uh, parallel world will bring us in a trajectory to play our genetic cards in a way that we will live a better life. Hippocrates said all disease begins in the gut. The more you study this, are you starting to believe this to be great, more truth or less truth? I, now almost 15 years ago, uh, you know, um, not Hippocrates, of course, is by support to Hippocrates, but I, I rephrase this and I say that the gut is not like Las Vegas. What happened in the gut does not stay in the gut. Meaning that, you know, depending how we interplay with these microorganisms, uh, how they, uh, you know, set up the ecosystem and so on and so forth, leads to consequences, not just in the GI tract, but any organ and tissue or district of our body may be affected in a, for better or for worse, depending on how we establish this relationship. Is a friendly relationship then will again, will be protected and we will mitigate inflammation that is the common denominator of all diseases you can imagine. Um, if on the other hand, we have a belligerent microbiome that doesn't play you know, fairly with us, then we have consequences and we will have a, you know, would be more prone to develop inflammation and therefore to not live a, a, a good life. The modern parent is running after their kids with antibacterial soap. Are we too clean for our own good? I think so. Again, I'm not advocating that we have to go back in the cave and live like the caveman by all the stretch of imagination. Um, but, uh, you know, again, um, th there is a, a, a proper line in which you want to have, you know, um, the hygiene uh, to mitigate the chance that uh, you will, you and the people that live with you will be in trouble. And on the other hand, you know, um, to destroy this ecosystem. Let me give you a classical example because it's under our, you know, nose and eyes, i.e. Uh, the, the, the pandemic, okay? There is no question that we were able, before that uh, vaccines were available, that we were able to really mitigate the, the, the negative impact. And, and we pay dear price in terms of morbidity and mortality by washing our hands, keeping distance, wearing masks and so on and so forth. The cost benefit ratio call in that case to really implement hygiene, to 
mitigates the spreading of a bad, bad microorganism, this virus that we never dealt with. Conversely, it's pretty obvious, the flip of the coin, that if you live in a rural area together with animals, you put, in other words, your, your, your hands in your dirt and so on and so forth, that helps tremendously to mitigate the risk to develop, let's say, um, allergies or you know other chronic inflammatory diseases. Uh, so there's, this is a long way to answer your question. You know, it, it, it depends on the conditions of your life. When you are under attack with a microorganism, you want to implement more strict hygiene. But, you know, in general, I, you know, we're getting too clean for our own goods. And you, if you compare, you know, the Western lifestyle, you know, compared to rural developing countries' lifestyle, you know, they, they, the developing countries, they still live a lifestyle more in tune with our biological evolution, the way that we evolved as a species. We're not. And what happened is that these folks, they still pay a price with infectious diseases because they have malaria, they have cholera, they have, you know, um, you know dengue and so on and so forth. And, and, but we, we are not better off because in exchange of these acute infections, now we have this chronic non-infective diseases that are you know, skyrocketing high, autoimmune disease, neurodegenerative diseases, uh, neuroinflammation, um, you know, uh, allergies. They are typical who embrace a Western lifestyle. Among the others is the, the extreme hygiene. What do you say to the parents that are running after their kids with the antibacterial uh, uh, solutions to kill the bacteria on their hands, on their face, on, and not letting them outside? What, what can you say to them to, to have them realize why it's important to, to, about the hygiene hypothesis and be involved with the environment? So, you know, the, the, going back to the microbiome, this is not something that is in a vacuum and a niche in the GI tract and is stable. It's extremely dynamic. And we are part of a much bigger picture that we don't realize. We really, you know, belong to and depend on the soil, the water, the air that are elements, the niche where these microbes, they have their vice cycle. So if, if we don't have a, a in-tune synchrony with our surrounding, if we pollute our water, if we do not have a healthy relationship with this, you know, circle of life, so to speak, then this exchange of microbes that we continuously do between us and the environment, it takes the wrong turn. Now, you put the roadblock with this excessive you know, cleaning, that circle of life that is meant to maintain this dynamic, friendly, symbiotic relationship will be affected, no matter how you want to see it. Again, I'm not saying that we have to go back to the cave. I'm not saying that, you know, hygiene is not important. After all, you know, again, uh, you know, cholera, for example, if you, if you implement hygiene and, and the water you know, supply cleaning and so on and so forth, you stop the, the process of transmitting color. You know, SARS-CoV-2, if you wash your hands, you, know, you eventually stop that. But this is not necessary all the time. 
because otherwise, if you continue this excessive IG, you put roadblocks on this continuous exchange with the surrounding environment. And this is not good for our ecosystem. Now, celiac disease has been doubling every 15 years. What do you think is the cause of that? Yeah, I mean, you know, that, by the way, celiac disease is not unique. Diabetes, uh, inflammatory bowel diseases, you know, like uh, Crohn's disease, uh, uh, multiple sclerosis, yes. Parkinson, uh, Alzheimer, macular degeneration, and you can go on and on and on. These are in a rampage increase. So the old paradigm was that you need two elements in order to develop this condition. You have to be genetically predisposed and you have to be exposed to an environmental trigger that is mismanaged by your immune system because of genetic predisposition. So the immune system is supposed to turn on the inflammation when under attack. And when the attack is done, you turn this off. We're not capable to turn it off efficiently anymore. And, you know, again, the question is, because this increase happened in the last two, three decades, what did we did wrong if you, again, uh, embrace a Western lifestyle? Definitely it's not genetic. It takes much longer for genetic mutation to translate an increase of this, you know, um, frequency of diseases. Got to be the environment. And, but even the environment, now going to back to celiac disease, we know that gluten is the trigger of celiac disease. So the environmental factor is well known. And yet, it's not been changed in the past two, three decades. And, and celiac disease, like the others, they see this increase of, of, of uh, uh, you know, uh, prevalence. So based on all this observation, we a long time ago, and now I believe it's pretty substantiated by a series of evidence, add the three more elements that makes you a risk to develop the problem. Of course, you have to be genetically predisposed as opposed to the environmental trigger. Then you have to add a breach of you know, defense, these barriers that compartmentalize and divide these two worlds, keeping this enemy, this environmental triggers at bay. So you have to have an increased gut permeability. I say gut because it's the launch interface with the environment. Then you have to have the immune system as a fourth element that become hyperbelligerent. It is not capable to turn off the inflammation. And last and not least, you know, pertinent to this discussion, the microbiome. The microbiome is supposed to be chosen very, very carefully to match our genetic needs, to play our genetic cards in a way that we achieve the fundamental goal of what we decide for two million evolution to be the outcome of this interplay. So in other words, the, the, we are all genetically different, even identical twins epigenetically, they function differently. And, you know, again, um, the, the, the reason why the, the, you know, and the environment is different and so on and so forth. But despite that, okay, looking at the, your microbiome, you can know your genetics will give you some hint but there are differences that would not really compute to understand what's going on here. What is important is the outcome of this interplay, metabolic pathways that needs to be activated in a certain way. You and I are genetically very different, but our blood pressure, if we're healthy, will be in the same range. Our glucose level has to be in the same range because you choose the complementary microbiome that allow you 
to achieve the metabolic goals, I choose mine. My microbiome is very different than yours because it has to be, you know, again, uh, complementary to my genome. So anything that derail this equation, again, genetic, it's not the issue because it's not changing such a short period of time. So anything that derail that maturation and, you know, symbiotic relations in the microbiome will impinge on metabolic pathways that put me in the trajectory to develop inflammation. That's the bottom line. So it is whatever you consider pre-birth, mom's lifestyle, what she leaves, you know, at birth, C-section, vaginal delivery, um, prematurity, or post-birth, whether the kids is fed, whatever, all this has a bottom leg. It goes all impinge on the microbiome. And if the microbiome composition and, 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 and function changes, the clinical outcome changes because you really affect specific metabolic pathways. So that's the reason why we better take care of our microbiome by doing a lifestyle that preserve that you know plan of evolution to have this you know friendly symbiotic relationship with it. Macu Health, your science-born and tested solutions for visual performance, macular degeneration, and dry eye syndrome. New products coming soon. Embrace the science. OIE Broadcasting is the emerging leader in social media. We use scientific entertainment to drive more patients into your office. Visit OIEbroadcasting.com and sign up today. I want to bring up non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Is that just on the spectrum? And is everybody have some sensitivity to gluten? So we were not aware of this entity until the recent past. We thought that, you know, the only problem with with uh, gluten was celiac disease. And if celiac disease was ruled out, you have no business to be on a gluten-free diet. And then we realized that actually there is a spectrum of gluten-related disorder. There is the autoimmune response to gluten is celiac disease. There is the allergic response to gluten that is with allergy. And then there is another response and still an immune response to gluten that is what we call non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Different mechanisms, uh, some of the premises are the same, um, but, you know, again, uh, the symptoms overlap, so you can't distinguish between celiac disease and non-celiac gluten sensitivity simply on the clinical ground. But, you know, um, the, 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 um, the, the key element of difference is, is that ultimately the celiac disease leads to the autoimmune attack of your guts. They are destroyed with all the consequences in terms of nutritional, you know, handling uh, of nutrients and, and capability to this digest some soap food stuff and so on and so forth. While in non-celiac gluten sensitivity, there is no such a thing. There is no attack of the gut, yet you have inflammation that leads to symptoms that again can overlap with celiac disease. You know, uh, recently uh, there's been books written about lectins, whether they're in vegetables or in beans, and I know that you're a proponent of the Mediterranean diet. And there are, so do you think it's important to avoid all the vegetables that have lectins in it, even if the vegetables are healthy vegetables? So this brings back to the previous question. Is it, it, it's, it's gluten bad for everybody, so everybody has to go gluten-free? Should we really not eat so much vegetables? Otherwise, we've got too, too much lectins. It's a matter of equilibrium. It's a matter of balance. Because if we do an unbalanced diet, 
even the healthiest thing, uh, you know, turkey meat will put you asleep. <laughs> you know, we know that. But if you balance, so you have the proper amount of gluten, the proper amount, unless of course you have a problem like, you know, you're in the gluten spectrum disorder business. But if you don't, if you're a normal individual, that means, you know, 80% of the general population, you know, eating too much gluten will make you sick. You know, anybody that will eat an entire pizza would not feel good, you know, after eating that. Same with the vegetables. If you exaggerate with that vegetables, th this may eventually lead to, you know, uh, issues that will impinge not only because of the, too much lectins, but other problems that comes with that. You just need to open your mouth and you can look at your 32 teeth. Evolution speaking, we're omnivores. We are supposed to eat everything. Why in the Western hemisphere, we got in trouble? Because the proportions of what we were supposed to eat have been changed dramatically. Hunter gutters had a diet that was mainly based on fruits, vegetable, tubers, nuts, oil. Why? They don't run, they're there, you just pick it. There's abundance of them. Meat, of course, rarely. You have to be a good hunter. And you know, it comes once in a while. Fish, same story. So now we in the Western hemisphere, we switch completely the situation. So we have much more abundance of you know, uh, food compared to vegetable-based food. And that translates in, in a traumatic change of the plan of evolution in terms of composition of the microbiome. Because of course, if you allow me this comp comparison, the microbiome is like a, 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 a farm in which there are different animals, horses, cows, pigs, uh, chickens, uh, you know, rabbits, they eat different things. And you know, a thousand chicken and 10 cows, you have to have more food for the chicken and a little bit less food for the cows because you want to make eggs as your primary outcome and you want to make milk and, and, and meat once in a while. Now what we're doing by changing the diet, now that we are not enough food for the chicken or no food at all, so we don't make eggs anymore, our farm economy changed completely. So the outcome of the farm is not what we're supposed to. And that's what we're you know, experiencing right now. I have to ask you as, as a pediatrician about autism. Uh, 30 years ago, it was one in 5,000. Now it's like one in 68, maybe less. What has changed? Uh, do you think it's from the immunizations? Do you think it's from glyphosate? Do you, think it's do you think it's just from changing the microbiome from all the things that we're exposed to that hurt the microbiome? What do you think is the main driver? Well, um, first of all, this is probably the most dramatic example of this acceleration of chronic inflammation in the Western Hemisphere. So the, the, uh, the numbers that you, 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 you mentioned are you know, staggering. This happened in only three years. Um, and if you think that the male-female ratio is uh, four to one, that means next generation, one boy out of four will be out of commission because of uh, autism spectrum disorder. So. If, unless this is an exceptional difference from all the other chronic inflammatory diseases for which we see the same phenomenon of acceleration, I will assume that the microbiome has to have the primary, primary 
uh, you know, uh, driving force. I can make the argument that chemicals like glyphosate can change the microbiome. So, because they impinge on the, that ecosystem. Um, the vac vaccination is extremely controversial there, as you know, probably what was supposed to be, you know, uh, a strong evidence, you know, uh, of, of, of the role of vaccination in causing autism being dismantled as, you know, um, not substantiated by science. Now, it is true that the old, um, you know, uh, generation vaccines used as exceeding aluminum that create problems, but it's not ex used anymore as an exceeding. So maybe that, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, this could be, you know, a, a, a player in, the, in, the, in this equation, but not anymore. And again, once again, going back to the cost-benefit ratio, uh, you know, we are, you know, implementing, you know, inappropriately, quote, unquote, hygiene to fight COVID, but it's a right way to go when you are in a contingency situation. When you have to decide, should I vaccinate my kid so I can prevent that he or she will get, you know, polio or um, measles or mumps or, or you know, uh, FB, versus not vaccinating to protect uh, supposedly against, you know, autism, the cost-benefit ratio is hugely inferior for vaccination, hugely inferior. So, and, and again, that together with no strong evidence, I believe that, you know, the, the issue is over. Uh, once again, I truly believe no matter what you want to consider, everything impinges on the microbiome. So, uh, and, and that I believe is the driving force. What do you say to people when you say that the autism rates have increased so much and they say, well, we're just better at diagnosing it. And it was there, you know, 30 years ago, but the doctors didn't diagnose it or didn't pay attention to it. That's partially true, but cannot explain this explosion of cases. It just cannot. Also, because now that we have, you know, uh, standardize the way to diagnose, we continue to see this increase. We are in the midst of a study that is funded by the European Commission that's called GEMMA. That's an acronym for genetic environment, microbiome and metabolism in autism. We are in early stage, but we already see a huge acceleration in, in this court of kids. They are at risk of, of autism because they have a brother sister with autism. This, this next generation, has a rate of, you know, um, autism that is much higher than 168. So we continue to have this trend. So it's undisputable that despite, you know, a better diagnosis, a standardization to diagnose this, that contribute to this increase, there is also something else. And, and this something else is that, again, like any other chronic inflammatory disease, particularly the one in which the gut-brain axis is affected, um, it is really driving, uh, you know, the, the, this this in increase that that the brain communicate with the gut was known to us for a long, long time. You're very nervous. You have a stomachache, but that the gut can communicate with the brain. It's a relatively recent notion, and we learn a big deal through the autism experience of how the gut can communicate with the brain causing neuroinflammation. And depending where this neuroinflammation materializes, you may end up with different kind of clinical outcome, including autism. 
We need to live in harmony with our microbiome. Uh, would you say that we need 85% healthy and we could get away with 15% unhealthy? Uh, and if you could go into some details about the microbiome, when we look at the different types of cells compared to human cells, are we just really just like an empty bag carrying around all these bacteria, viruses, protozoa? So this is a question that is asked to me many, many times. I'm also professor of nutrition and people say, you know, what is the best way to care about my microbiome so that I, I don't, don't derail from what it was the plan of evolution to live the right, the right way. Again, um, you know, hygiene is important. Uh, I say detriment if it's too much. Um, the way that you're born a C-section, that will definitely put in the wrong direction. Uh, if you use an abuse antibiotic, definitely that's not good for you. But these are point elements. We eat three, four times a day. So nutrition is by far the most impactful way to modulate, for better or for worse, our microbiome. That brings, what should I eat? And again, the question is, if it took modern nature two million years to build this engine, this car, that was supposed to have, you know, 98 octans, uh, you know, gas in the tank, and now I put water, I should not be surprised that the engine is not performing. So it all depends what kind of food we have. We want to depart too much from what we typically have been eating for 99.9% .9 of our evolution. So fruits, vegetable, nuts, tubers, olive oil, you know, omega-3 rich fish, you know, meat, but lean and, and, you know, with no antibiotics or hormones in there and so on and so forth. It's, you know, mild zero is the way to go. I'm describing what the Mediterranean diet, you know, as one example. And, you know, that is the best way to do two things. One, again, to prevent that I, I play my genetic cards in the wrong way and develop problems. Two, to mitigate ongoing inflammation because now we see more and more that nutritional intervention may have as equally if not more impactful you know, um, efficacy compared to drugs that we use to ameliorate inflammation. We do this already in inflammatory bowel disease. We do for you know, epilepsy that do not respond to epileptic drugs. We put these people on a specific diet and that will eventually um, mitigate inflammation without side effects of the drugs. Um, so I see personally a future in which by the time that we understand better how this interplay between us, genetically speaking, and the microbiome pinout, when we have a large amount of data that we can do artificial intelligence, I will see the future that, you know, you come to my office, you give me your genetic chips, you bring me your stool samples that I will analyze while I visit you. And at the end, out of this, I come up with, you know, the notion that you have now 78% of possibility to develop Alzheimer's in 10 years, unless I change something. And based on the metabolic pathways that I can model, I will change your microbiome with a specific diet so that I mitigate this to 10%. That's the future. And, and we're, we're there with diabetes. We can delay diabetes. We know that through studies 
by altering the microbiome and improving it. Is that, is that correct? Correct. Uh, diabetes, um, fatty liver, uh, you, know, you know, obesity, uh, they're all elements in which, of course, the behavior, the human behavior impinge. If you eat 5,000 calories a day, of course, you know, that, 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 that will favor to uh, develop the problem. But we know well that there are people that they eat very little, and yet they have type 2 diabetes, they have obesity, they have fatty liver, and so on and so forth, because they have some metabolic pathways that are being activated that can be manipulated at our, our advantage by trying to impinge on the microbiome so that will eventually be better off for us. You know, when you were talking about the diet before the Mediterranean diet, alcohol or wine, uh, how does that fit in? Um, once again, like for gluten, for vegetables, you know, um, uh, alcohol consumption in moderation is definitely a go. It's not a problem. As a matter of fact, you know, some red wines, they are rich in polyphenols. They are anti-inflammatory <coughs> properties. So it's better if we use to have a glass of red wine, good red wine, not, you know, uh, uh, wine that has, you know, um, chemicals in it um, would be good for us. But if we drink an entire bottle of wine or super alcoholic, of course, now you put the, you know, the, the liver to the limits and now you really put a lot of stress that can eventually lead to serious consequences, as we all know. And organic wine? Organic wine is the same, of course, of course. But again, always in moderation. It's not because it's organic, I can drink you know, two <laughs> gallons of wine. I can't do that. And how about casein from cheese? Where, where, where does that fall with the microbiome? So casein, again, um, you know, was not part of evolution because, you know, that was supposed to be given to cows and not to human beings. But, you know, again, without the, the access to, um, you know, um, cow's milk, we, we will not be here because, you know, we know that lactation has been an issue uh, forever. And some mothers are lucky to have enough for their babies, and some they do not. Um, so, uh, you know, casein, though, can be handled. We have enzymes, in other words, to dismantle casein and to take care of also the sugar in the, in the milk. Um, but once again, if we excessively consume, uh, you know, milk and dairy, uh, that would not be good for us. Again, it's, it's, a, it's a, a cliche and over and over repeating myself, and I apologize for this, but, you know, it, it's all question of balance. Check and balance of what you eat is the way to go. You know, can I eat junk once in a while? Absolutely. You know, but, you know, if that's my lifestyle, absolutely not. Um, it, it, there was a study that was published a couple of years ago showing that the main Die right now, worldwide, not just in the Western Hemisphere, is not infection but diet. The inappropriate diet is what puts us in the trajectory to get more sick and die. And if you look at what are the elements of the diet that create the problem, with the exception, and I may even make an argument there, of the most frequent reason, a diet rich in a sodium that, of course, increased blood pressure and, and increased the chance of cardiovascular accidents. But even that, I can make an argument. All the other, you know, problem with the diet, poor in fibers, poor in vegetables, poor in fruits, uh, uh, poor in the whole grains, they're all 
diet that decreases the amount of fibers that is a key staple for the microbiome to thrive. You know, the, the, particularly in the Western Hemisphere, the fiber intake, the daily fiber intake is way below to what it's supposed to be. And therefore, again, we have a farmer, to go back to the parallel, that now is not fed. And, and you know, they, they, they develop cannibalism. They start to kill each other. And now you have one bossy, you know, element of the microbiome over and another. And, and that creates, you know, um, you know, metabolic imbalance that we're not supposed to, to experience. And how about like goat cheese as opposed to from goat versus cow or some different type of animal, raw milk versus pasteurized? What's your feeling on that? Yeah. Again, um, uh, donkey meat, uh, you know, goat meat, uh, donkey milk, uh, goat milk, uh, it seems to be all vegetable milk, uh, you know, almond milk. There all seems to be, you know, fair alternative to cow's milk. Um, is that necessary? Not strictly speaking, unless you have a specific allergy. Um, it, is that a bad idea? Absolutely not. You know, it's a way to diversify where it's specific you know, elements of your diet, vitamins, minerals, that are extremely important comes with the cow's milk, but also fat uh, that we demonize all the time, but we need desperately the good fat um, for some specific function, particularly for the nervous system. Um, you know, uh, so th that, that's something that, again, I don't think that we should demonize, but on the other hand, uh, you like for gluten, if you consume too much, it's gonna be a problem, no, no matter who you are. I think if you could put it in perspective that the human microbiome is made of a hundred trillion bacteria, protozoa, uh, viruses, and just to put that in perspective, and how much how much of us is made up of these microorganisms compared to human cells? Well, you know the numbers move, so that's relatively important. But you know at least we have a one-to-one -one ratio, so we have as many microorganisms as our own cells. But that's not telling the entire story. Combined, they make 150 times more genes than we do. So they have a plasticity that we do not. And the way to explain this, at least to my students, is that imagine the, the human, you know, human genome as a piano with 32,000 notes, one for each gene, okay? You know, the, the, the piano needs a piano player to play whatever tune you want to play. And the primary player is the microbiome. So if you have somebody that has been trained and know the piano and knows the, what kind of harmony can come from this piano, so you take full advantage of the piano, you will have playing the song and the tunes that were supposed to play on that piano and you will have a wonderful outcome. But if you have a prior player that you know uh, eventually is not being trained to play on that piano, or is not being trained to play the piano at all, would touch notes that you know again will eventually lead to a, a, a tune that is not appropriate disease. This is the concept of epigenetic. Let's say that you know to play, uh, you know. Uh, the song macular degeneration, you have to touch 300 of these notes. And you have a piano player that touched 200 of these 300 notes. Even if you are genetically predisposed, you don't play that song. 
But then, you know, you change your lifestyle, you eat junk, uh, you, you uh, take antibiotics, uh, you, you indulge in alcohol and so on and so forth. The composition, the microbiome, therefore the piano player changes. And now the new piano player can play all 300 notes and macro-degeneration that was not, a, you know, supposed to happen, now is happening. This is a revolutionary concept, Kerry, because in the past we thought, if you have the genetic predisposition to develop a problem, Alzheimer, uveitis, you know, celiac disease, that's destiny. That's not true. The destiny is right here in our hands. Depends how we play our genetic cards. Depends on our lifestyle. You know, aging is another example. Aging is a, is a process of chronic inflammation that goes out of control. We know that there are people that age well and people that age not that well. We know people that reach in the 90s are still active and independent, and there are people in the 60s on a wheelchair. Why is this difference? Once again, you play your genetic card in a different way. If you have a chronic inflammatory process in your body, you're going to have consequences. And all depends, you know, the way that you eventually interact between the gene and the environment with the transducer being the microbiome. Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacuHealth with Micromycel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromycel technology. Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner not only with our innovative portfolio, but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon Experience Academy. OIE Broadcasting is the emerging leader in social media. We use scientific entertainment to drive more patients into your office. Visit OIEbroadcasting.com and sign up today. Each generation was supposed to be healthier than the last one. Lifespan was supposed to be increasing. We were supposed to be in this paradise by now. Instead of getting healthier and healthier, it seems to have gone the opposite way. Millennials were projected to be the first generation in history to not outlive the generation before them. We are certainly headed for disaster. I think a lot of people are beginning to question the whole story. We live in a time where the paradigms are shifting. And the optometrist, in my opinion, is one of the best kept secrets. The public doesn't realize about going to the eye doctor. So many different diseases actually manifest in the eye. The back of the eye is the only place in the body that you could actually see the blood vessels. Completely non-invasively, you could screen thousands of people, not just for their eye health, but for their whole body health. Because this disease is here, it's also gonna be here. And I can look into the back of my eyeball, and there are expert doctors on the ground who are looking at my eyeball while I'm doing it. The eye is the canary of the mind. The eye is the kingdom. Will everyone please 
open their eyes. Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe For You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me and you.